You're listening to a message from Pastor Jack Holt at the River. Tonight I've t- I entitled this message, Cho- Choose to Believe. And let me start with this, and uh, you'll see where I'm going with this. Faith, when you hear the gospel, faith comes. But faith, like everything, has to be used for you to receive the benefits of the kingdom of God. Many people get saved, and it's almost like they take their faith and put it on a shelf and don't use it until a crisis occurs in their life. God wants us to choose to believe for his best in our lives so that he could be glorified. There's a story that Jesus does of a miracle of a man, if you, if you recall it, his son was demon-possessed, and, and his son would fall into the water and into the fire. And Jesus was out on the mount praying when he brought his son to the ministry of Jesus. And the disciples were unable to cast out of the devil. And so they brought him to Jesus, and he said this to Jesus. He says, if you can help me or help us, help us. And Jesus, from that response, you know, he said, if you can believe, all things are possible to the one who believes. But I want you to notice something, that Jesus couldn't do anything until he removed this this obstacle of questioning whether or not he was able to do it. In fact, Jesus practiced this with many miracles that he did. For instance, the two blind men that came to him, uh, Jesus said to them, he said, do you believe I can do this? Now, if they would have said, well, we're not quite sure, but give it the best shot you got, he couldn't have done the miracles. Now, keep in mind, this is Jesus. He's got the spirit without measure, and even in his hometown, he was unable to do mighty miracles because of their unbelief. And so what I want you to see is that what he said to the man was basically this, if you choose to believe, everything's possible. And that's what I want to start with tonight. If you choose to believe, everything that God promises is possible in your life, no matter how low you are, no matter how wore out you are, no matter what your life is like, if you just choose to believe God's written word over what you see and feel in your life, it becomes possible that God can change your life. Are you going to choose to believe tonight? Amen. All right, so I want you to turn with me over to Deuteronomy 30. And I want to use this as a text. I'm going I'm to go a little deep tonight, so focus in on what I'm going to say. Because I want to deal with some of the reasons why people don't choose to believe for God's best in their life. Look at this particular verse. He says, I will call heaven and earth as a witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, Therefore, choose life that that both you and your descendants may live. Now, what I want you to see, and we'll read on, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to give you. Now, here's the context. This is the second generation Remember the first generation, they weren't able to go into the promised land. This is the second generation. Moses is 120 years. He's about ready to go off in the mountains, and and we won't hear of him again. And Joshua is going to be taking the people into the promised land. And so God's word to the people was, 
Listen, I said before you, death and life, blessing and cursing, choose life. And by the way, the word choose there means to choose the best portion. Are you following me? If you get a piece of cake, you want to get the best portion, amen? You don't want to get the, you want to get all the frosting, amen? He says, I want you to, to choose the best. But why would God tell you that unless your will is critical for your success? Now, when I say that, I want you to understand what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the free will that each individual has. Your faith won't work without your consent, without your free will, without you choosing. God will not choose for you. And this is something that I believe has been undersold in the church. And some of it is because of unscriptural perspectives in Scripture. And let me, let me tell you where I'm going with this. Now, most of you may not know this, but in the church as it evolved, you had with it two particular views that were in the church, Arminianism and Calvinism. Arminianism supports the fact that we have a choice in it. Calvinism takes away the choice that a person has. And it basically sets up like this, that if, God, that if you are the elect that God chose from the foundation of the world, then you're going to get saved whether you do anything or not. You're going to respond to God and get saved. Arminianism, which is different, means that you have a choice. Now, I'm going to talk tonight about the fact that you have a choice, and because of that faulty thinking is the reason why people don't see the miracles in their life that they want. Because they're waiting for God to choose for them when God has given you and told you what to choose, but it's up to you to choose. Are you following me so far? And I saw this particular heresy taught in the church, and they called it way back when limited atonement. Now, limited atonement basically means that Jesus, when he died on the cross, only died for the elect. Those that are not elected, no matter what they do, no matter how many times they go to church, they'll never get saved. The only people that are going to get saved are those that God has predestined from the foundation of the world. But what does the Bible say? Outside of what tradition has said, what do the scriptures say? I'm going to give you a whole bunch of verses here, and I want you to write them down. 1 John 2.2 says this. It says that, that he is the propitiation of our sins, but not for our sins alone but also for the whole world. Say whole world. So that means that Christ didn't just die for what we would call the elect. He, called, he died for everyone in this world. Amen. Can you say amen? But we don't want to build doctrine off one verse. 1 Timothy 2.4 says, God desires that all people to be saved. Titus 2.11 says, uh, that God is bringing salvation to all people. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says that Jesus died for all. Romans 8.32 says he did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. 1 Peter 3.9 says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Did you notice all the times I said all? Now, you should get excited right now. 
Now, this is important because I believe there's so many people, they go, well, I believe that God forgave me of my sins, but I don't know if he'll heal me. I don't know if he'll prosper me. It's all connected. It's all connected. Because Christ has removed the remission of sins, which is the price paid for the consequences sin produced in your life. And Christ paid for all of that. And not only the sin, but he paid for the disease. He paid for the prosperity that was lacking in your life. He paid for it all. And so when you come to Christ, it's a matter of choice. I got to choose to believe. I got to choose to believe what the scripture says and not what some old theologian said that had brain damage coming up with a revelation that isn't from the word. I want a revelation from the word. I want the word to speak to me. I don't want someone to put in the scripture something that is not true. The power is in the word. So you have a choice to believe. When I hear the word, faith comes. But I got to choose to believe after it comes. I could choose to walk away from it and say, no, the circumstances are screaming too loud. I, I know that I got, God showed me in his word that it's his will, but I, I don't know if I want to choose to believe that because it's so out there. But yet that's where all the blessings of God abide, is in faith. Can you say amen? You have to activate your faith now say this with me i got to activate my faith just saying or believing you got faith in your heart is not enough faith has to be activated if it's not activated it's not alive if it's not alive it won't get you healed there's got to be an activation a story i heard years ago i thought it was good it was a pastor he his the congregation that he had was farmers and this year, they had this terrible drought. So he got together on a Sunday morning and told everybody, he said, listen, guys, we're going to pray tonight that God would open up the heavens and pour down rain on so that you get the good harvest. Everybody was excited, said, we'll be there tonight. That night, the church was packed out. Pastor comes out and he looks, looks around. He said, where are the umbrellas? I thought we were going to believe that it was going to rain. But because you didn't bring any umbrellas, it's obvious you don't believe it's going to rain. And that's where a lot of the churches today, they say they believe, but they won't activate their faith by their actions. If you believe in God providing for you, uh, you will sow seed for it. If you believe that, that God will bless your household by you loving your wife as Christ loved the church, then you're going to start loving your wife the way Christ loved the church. If you believe what the scriptures say and start acting on it, then your faith is going to attract the blessing instead of a curse in your life. Can everyone say Amen. But here's where some of the problem comes in, and that is this. Many people still believe that the grace of God is irresistible. In other words, if God is drawing you into the kingdom, uh, you can fight and kick, but eventually you're going to give your life to Christ, and eventually you're going to get saved. That's all a great theory and so forth, but is it true? Is the grace of God irresistible in your life, or can you resist it? Can you resist it and push it away? Can you resist it and not receive the benefits of it? Think about it for a minute. 
Jesus who had the spirit without measure. And the Bible said in John, the first chapter, that the law was given to Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus. So the fullest demonstration of grace came through Jesus, but yet Jesus, in his own hometown, they resisted the grace he was preaching to them. And they were unable to receive the miraculous miracles that it was God's will to perform in their life. Or how about Jesus' own disciples? He gave them authority to cast out every demon, to heal every sickness, but yet they had this one case, and their faith wavered, and they resisted what God had given them, and they were unable to cast the demon out of the boy when Jesus went ahead and did exactly the thing that they said they couldn't do. Hallelujah. In 1 John 1, 9, or did I say 1 John? John 1, 9, it says this. As many as received him, say received. Faith receives. As many as received him, he gave them the power to become the sons of God. So there was obviously people that resisted Jesus. And they never became the children of God. They were still the children of the devil. You can resist the grace of God. You can resist it to the point that God's grace falls away from you. You can resist it. Faith has to choose to believe, choose to receive. You can resist and resist and resist and wonder why things are not working the way the Word says they should in your life. I'm going to show you that God in His grace draws everyone into the kingdom of God. There's not a soul on this earth that is not born that God's grace is not drawing to his son Jesus. There's no tribe out in some distant place that God will not send a messenger to them with the gospel of Christ. There is no place on this planet where the gospel won't get to a person where the grace of God begins to affect them that God will make sure that a preacher ends up there. It's God's will. Look at this verse, John chapter 12, look at this. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now if the judgment of the world, now the rule over this world will be cast out, and, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Does that say, what does that say when Jesus rose from the dead? His whole mission then is to draw people to himself. Every message preached, the grace of God is out there to draw people to Christ. His mission is to save people. His mission is to set everyone free. We got to choose to tap into that. We got to choose to receive that. We got to choose to say, Lord, I'm going to believe your best. I know you just didn't come from some. You came from all of us. Hallelujah. We're no respecter of persons. Amen, God, the Scripture says. God loves everyone on this planet. He wants to heal you like he healed Peter's mother-in-law. He wants to uh, heal your daughter just like he healed Jairus' daughter. He's no respecter of persons. 
but you got to stand up in faith and say, I'm going to receive it. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. So faith, uh, so the Bible says that we're saved by grace through faith, uh, not of works, least any man should boast. But it doesn't say that we're saved by grace alone. It says we're saved by grace through faith. Without faith, grace won't work. In other words, grace, we're saved by everything that Jesus did, but it took faith, it took you choosing to receive him. You know, when I grew up, I went to a very traditional church. I didn't know Jesus. I wasn't born again. But I sensed the grace of God even way back then. I sensed the presence of God even though I wasn't saved. Amen. And then no matter how dead the church is, if they're preaching the gospel, there's going to be some anointing on the church. Amen. And I remember going to catechism, and I remember, I remember this funny feeling coming on me. That was before I was saved, before I was spirit-filled, the grace of God is trying to save people. That's why, listen, the church is so important in America today. We need to get the church back in the schools. We need to get the church back in America. We need to get the church back in the government. But there's an illustration I heard years ago about faith, how you have to activate it, that I'm going to change it up a little bit, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, it's a story about a guy. He's starving to death, so he goes into a grocery store. And in the grocery store is all the food and nourishment he needs so that he doesn't starve to death. But yet if he just sits down in the middle of the grocery store and doesn't receive any of the food in that grocery store, he'll perish even though it is all available to him. He'll perish, won't he? Well, people say, Pastor, you're not preaching right because we're not saved by what we do. What? No, we're not saved by what we do, but we are saved by our faith, and it can't be faith unless you act on it. You see the difference? In other words, look at it this way. The guy's in the grocery store. He's, he can't save himself by paying out of his own pocket to buy the food. That would be salvation by works. Amen? But God the Father came in and bought all the groceries, bought all the food, and said it's free to you. All you need to do is by faith reach up and receive it. That's how we got saved. That's how you get healed. It's not by works, dead works, but it is by faith works. I said there's got to be faith works. You ever meet somebody that's believing for something, but there's no action? They're wasting their time. I believe God's going to give me a job. Well, go out and look for a job. Hallelujah. Well, I believe that, you know, the Lord's going to give me a wife. Well, go out looking for one. The fish aren't going to jump in the boat. You've got to put your line in the, in the water and, you know. And everybody loved pastor said amen and amen. Praise God. So the point that I want you to see tonight is simply this. God wants you to choose tonight to believe his written word over anything that you see or feel in your life. And he wants you to choose to believe you can, you've received it and choose in that point in your life to do something very powerful. And that is act on what you've received. If you received it, act like it. If you received it, smile like it. If you receive it, talk like it. If you receive, come on, that's how faith works. See, the, the man that was uh, blind from birth, 
He wouldn't have got healed unless he had acted on what Jesus said. Jesus said, go watch in the pool of Shalom. If he hadn't acted on it in faith, he never would have got healed. Or the woman with the issue of blood never would have got healed if she had not acted on what she said. She said, if I touch the hem of his garment. But if she had never touched the hem of his garment, she never would have got healed. She had to act on it. Don't you love a message that says act on the word of God? And it's so sad to see people in church praying for a revival, but yet they won't witness Jesus to anybody. Faith comes by preaching the gospel. Not by being salty or not by do, not doing anything. It comes from having an answer concerning your faith. Someone asks you, what do you believe in? You can answer that question. That's how people get saved. That's how people are set free. And so I want you tonight to choose to believe to receive God's best in your life. And this is so powerful because so often we get confused between dead works and faith works. We mix them in between, and we're not sure which one's which. Uh, when I first got saved, church I went to, you, you, there's always some people in it that think they're spiritual, and there were some people in it, and, and this is one of the views that people would tell me about forgiveness. They say, when you forgive somebody, you don't have to forgive them unless they repent. And so what does it mean to repent? Well, if they steal $50 from you, give $50 or and give it back to you, then forgive them. But if they keep the money and don't give it back, you don't have to forgive them. That's dead works. That's not how Jesus forgave you. Ephesians says that we're to forgive as God in Christ forgave us. Jesus didn't say, listen, I'm going to go ahead and forgive you if you do this, this, and this, and this, and this, and this. Go back and fix everything that you did wrong in your life. Go back to your ex-wife, even though you're married to a new wife. Go back. He didn't say do that, and then I'll forgive you. He said, I'm going to forgive you right now, and I'm going to pay the price for your sin, not you. Woo! Now, this is... This is really good for marriage. Because here's what I've learned about people. Most people, when they know they're actually wrong, if they're a believer, will admit to it. The problem is people are at different levels of growth. And some people don't think they've done anything wrong. So even though you've been saying, you messed up, woman, she may not, in her eyes, think she has. And ladies, you know if you're married to a man, there's darkness in their minds. And what they consider right sometimes is wrong. You know, so, you know, you messed up. You well, I don't think so. Well, you, you can't expect them to agree to something they don't really believe in. Amen. So what do you do? You just love them unconditionally. I'm going to love you. Maybe, maybe down the road when God gives you light, you'll see it, but then find out. And they'll come back to me, you know, 10 years later and say, honey, you were right all those years. But you just love them in the process. My wife has done that with me for years. I'm hardly ever wrong, but, but she's done that for years. 
I'm messing with you now. Amen? But that makes a great marriage because you're loving the person unconditionally. You're loving them. Why do you think it says that we're to pray for one another and God will give them light? Because we're all growing different areas. Some people think one thing is, is wrong and other people think one thing is right. And, and there's a variation there. You know, Scripture doesn't cover everything. Amen? And so you got to have this grace where I'm just going to forgive people. Even if they don't agree with me, we can still be agreeable. Amen? And I'm going to love them as Christ loved me because I didn't see it at first when the Lord started showing me these things. Now I see it because he's opened my eyes, but I didn't see it when I was blind. And everybody's blind in some areas. And every, all the honest people said, hallelujah, come on, hallelujah. <laughs> Isn't that so? And so we need to take the grace of God. We need to receive it the way the Lord says and to let that operate in our life in a great way. Amen. And remember this, that you are saved by grace through faith. And faith is what keeps you in the realm of your salvation. You get out of faith and you'll lose the keeping power. 1 Peter 1.5 says, you are kept by the power of God through faith. Not through your pastor. Through faith. You're kept by the power of God. 1 John chapter 5 says, whatever is born of God does not sin. Talking about the inward man. And it says, for he keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. Who keeps him? He keeps him. Now, God obviously is the one keeping us, but it's through our faith. It's through our faith. So if we begin to waver with our faith, we're going to run into trouble in our life. Amen? So here's a question. What is it in your life that is going to save you from sickness and disease? It's faith in God's grace. What is it in your life that is going to save you from financial lack and poverty and all those things? It is your faith. What is it going to save you from all the evil that's trying to destroy the families in America today? It's going to be your faith. If you don't have that faith, it's not going to work. And it's not going to work unless you choose to believe. I choose to believe what the Word says above what the world says. I'm not going to be conformed to the world. I'm going to be conformed to the Word of God, if the, words, the Word of God says. And there's nothing wrong with getting some wisdom from the world, like if you're a carpenter or a doctor or whatever, nothing wrong with that. I'm just talking about when it deals with your moral issues. The Bible is our moral guide. Not the Senate, not the House, not the President. It's the Bible. That's what determines what my conscience is. Because they're obviously on, on the wagon there when it comes to morals. Amen? I want you to write this verse down. This is found in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, 31. It's a little heavy. You don't mind if I go a little heavy here, do you? I'm going to show you this verse. It's really, it's a hard verse. He says, if we sin willfully, say willfully or deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, that's epigenosis, that means the full knowledge of truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and the fire indignation that devour, devours the adversary. 
And then he talks about Moses. He says, anyone that lived without the law of Moses died without mercy by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And then he says, how much more, how much more punishment should be in the individual who trots under the foot, the Son of God, and takes or in accounts the blood of the covenant that sanctifies him as something that is common, that insults the spirit of grace. Oh, glory to God. He's talking about an individual who came to a place in their life where they fell away from the faith and they didn't believe that Jesus was the son of God anymore. They didn't believe that the blood of God was in Jesus. That blood that sanctified them. And the writer is saying, if people died without mercy, they rejected the law, how much severe punishment will happen to a Christian who forsakes his faith and stops believing in the blood of Jesus in his life? And then he says this, he says, and we know the one that says, Vengeance is mine. I will judge my people. He is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Heavy verse. I said heavy verse. But I want you to see the context of it. He's not talking about the sin of adultery, the sin of stealing, the sin of lying. He's not talking about those sins. He's talking about one sin. Getting to a place where you reject Jesus as the Son of God. Getting you to a place where you trample underfoot what he did on the cross and you reject him. And some of you may know people like that. They used to be in the church and now they don't even believe in God. Now they don't even believe that Jesus was really the Son of God. That's what it's referring to in that text. And it says that the pathway to that is what they call willful sin, or the NIV translation says, deliberately is sinning. Now, what's the difference? Well, let me, let, me, let me give you an example. What a willful sin is not. Let's say that you just got saved. And you're a fairly new Christian. And a friend of you calls you up, and this is like six months after you've been saved. And he doesn't know you got saved. He just moved back into the area. He was your close friend when you grew up and so forth. He said, hey, let's get together. I'll meet you down at the tavern that we used to go to. And, and your mind is thinking, well, I don't drink anymore, so, but, but I'll just get a Coke when I go down there and talk with him. So you go down there, and to make a long story short, short, one thing leads to another, and you end up getting tipsy, getting drunk. Then you end up in a strip bar. Then you end up with some woman you don't even know. That's not the kind of sin that he's talking about. You guys look at me like you're so holy and pure. Come on now. You know what I'm talking about when, when people get into a place like that. Now, if you're smart, that doesn't happen. Feet on the word, that doesn't happen. Or someone, and I've seen good people like this, uh, that they have a job and, and uh, say a wife, she's working, trying to help the family. And uh, she, there's someone on the job she's working with. And over a period of time, she, she develops feelings for this individual. And one thing leads to another until she has an affair. She feels terrible about it. 
Well, that's not a deliberate, willful sin that he's talking about in this passage. This is when you know what the Word says. And you're not forced into the action. You just choose to do it. This is beyond demonic oppression. This is beyond the... Uh, anxiety or the fears you struggle that make you know this is beyond that where you just get to this place because you started right here with God and over time you got farther and farther and farther and farther and farther and farther away from God until you get to that place that you completely fall away from the faith. Now, don't think that can't happen. Don't make that mistake to feel secure in something that is not in Scripture. You're only secure when you're in faith. You'll lose your security if you just think you can do anything you want to do and it's going to be all right. Now, I will say this. Some people say, well, that sin led to the person falling away. The sin I'm talking about does not lead to that. It leads to the cliff of it. But that sin is separate. That sin of denying Christ comes after a long period of time. But it, 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 God will forget adultery. He will forget stealing. He will forget lying. He will forgive all that stuff. But there is that place where you can go beyond that. That's why in the Bible there's a distinction between the sin unto death and just a sin being judged. Remember John said this about the sin unto death? He said this, he said, this particular sin, I want you to know right up front, if someone is committed, don't bother praying for them. All other sins we pray for. This sin you don't pray for. Why? Because there's no use. It won't do any good. It's, it, they, they've experienced the second death while they're on earth. They are forever played with a curse, and you can't restore them. They can't be restored in any way, shape, or form. That's what Jesus or Hebrews means in Hebrews 6, 4, where it says they were once enlightened taste of the heavenly gift they were born again and then it says this it says they're partakers of the holy ghost and it, then it says that they tasted the word of god and experienced the power of the age to come if they fall away you cannot renew them again to repentance since they crucify afresh the son of god and put him to open shame that's what it's talking about Amen. hallelujah christians need to hear this because they're playing people are playing Russian roulette with the gospel. Doesn't matter if I go to church. Doesn't matter if I pray that much. Doesn't matter if I do that. I'm not saved by what I do. I'm only saved by what Jesus did. That's absolutely true. But you've got to have faith in what he did. And if you've got faith in what he did, there's going to be some actions. There's going to be some prayer. There's going to be loving people. There's going to be serving people. There's going to be doing all of that as well. And if you don't do that, you're going to miss out on what God has for you. Amen? Now, I love this because it shows me that I can't take for granted my salvation. i got to keep my guard up. Ever know anybody from the country that came and moved in the city? 
I've had friends like that move in the city and they don't lock their doors. I said, you've got to lock your doors. You're not in the country anymore. And they go, well, why? Because there's creeps out there. You've got to lock the doors. You've got to put cameras up. You've got to put a security system in your house. You've got to buy a big dog and you've got to buy a big gun. Well, I shouldn't say that on the air. Praise God. But we're, we're not, we're in the, come on. We're in the city, church. We've got to keep our guard up spiritually. We've got to practice our faith. We've got to receive God's best. We've got to break through with the blessing of God in our lives and not allow whatever's going on in the world to affect us. We've got to renew our mind of the Word. We've got to lay claim to the Word of God. We've got to strong, stand strong in the faith and not assume we can do anything we want and God will patch up the pieces, which He will, but you're still going to have to go through it to get the pieces patched up. And that creates more work for the staff here. So please don't do that. <laughs> Just guard your faith. Ask yourself this question every time you get up. Is my faith, am I acting upon it? Or is it just a mental ascent? If someone was to come up to me and take me to the court of law to prove whether I was a Christian, could it be proven? Or would the Jury say, no, we have no evidence at all this individual is a follower of Christ. They act no difference than the guy down the street. They may have a little bit more a higher standard, but you can't tell. There's no evidence. I want you to have evidence. Evidence that God is moving in your life in a powerful way to bring the blessing of God in your life in an overcoming way. Now, let me, let me say this. Get out of your thinking that sin is sin. People think this all the time. They think, well, sin is sin. Uh, stealing a quarter is no different than stealing a thousand dollars. It is. Sin is not sin. Some sins have more drastic effects. You take a 10-year-old child that steals uh, $10 from someone, and you take another guy who breaks into a bank and steals $100,000, when they're standing before the judge, who's going to get the more severe punishment? The guy that did the $100,000. What do you think the lake of fire is going to be consist of? Do you think everyone's getting the same exact punishment? The Bible says, no, not so. It says that each one will be judged according to the works, and because their name is not found in the Latin book of life, they're cast in the lake of fire, which means Hitler's going to have a whole lot worse and many other sinners in, in the lake of fire. Hallelujah. So if that's true in the second death, wouldn't it also be true down here that some sins are far more devastating than other sins? Amen. Aren't you glad to come to church tonight? Praise God. Preaching on the fear of the Lord. Really good stuff. This is good. Let me close with this. First John says this. He says, this is the confidence that we have before God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and if we know he hears us, we know that we have the petition we have desired of him. You know that part. Amen? But what people don't understand is when you ask for something according to the will of God, it's not just asking for what God promises. It's also asking in the way that he says to ask. And God never says ask and ask and ask and ask and ask. He says, ask and receive. He said, seek and find. He said, knock and the door shall be open. 
In fact, in the Old Testament, you find, here's what I find about asking. Whatever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive it. Hallelujah. Some translations say, uh, uh, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you receive it. That's the biblical way to receive from God. But you see a cross-reference to this in the Old Testament where God is giving the land to, to Abraham, and he says, here's how I want you to receive it. I want you to walk through the land, lift up your eyes, and everything that you can see, I give to you. So here's a great way to receive. Go to God in prayer, ask it and receive it, and see yourself possessing it. See yourself doing better than you're doing right now. See yourself going over the top. See yourself healed and well. See yourself happy and, come on, see your kids coming to Christ. See your kids worshiping God. Come on, see that. And that's how you receive it. You got to do it his way. Let me close with this one story. There's a difference between asking and receiving. It's a different mode. You remember when Peter and John were going to the temple to pray? There's a man that was lame from birth, and he was asking for alms. He's asking for alms. He's asking for alms. And Peter and John looked at him and gave attention to him, and right then he changed from asking to expecting. And at that moment, he reaches out his hand to receive. That's why Peter said this to him. He said, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I give to you, and grabbed him by the hand that was out to receive. Grabbed him and pulled him up. What I want you to do is ask and then put your hand out. Lord, I got it. I got it. I'm receiving it right now in the name of Jesus. I'm receiving all of my needs met according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to receive in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more messages like this one, check out our podcast, River App, and our website at theriver.church. We're the river, and we're doing life together.